and uh, filling in for Luke, and that was a blessing. I bless all you visitors that are here this morning, and uh, hope you all, hope we all can take something home with us today. That's what church is all about, isn't it? I don't know if you've heard me pray this prayer, but recently the Lord is just laying that burden on my heart that church would be a place that we could come to and have needs met. I think that's how it should be. A place where, you know, hurts get healed. Uh, We find healing for our soul. We sang that song this morning. Be still and know that I am God. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And I know God does that probably in more ways than we can even realize or often take note of on a Sunday morning. But I think it would be a blessing if it could be more so that God would, wouldn't it be a blessing if if God would, this is a place where we look forward to come to to have needs met, struggles in our lives. I can come to church and there meet God and he will, he will fix my problem. And I was so excited because uh, Jonathan was kind of stepping on some of the scriptures that I, at least one there that I've been thinking about, and that was the one in Luke there, where Jesus, after his temptation in the wilderness, came back and he opened the Bible, opened the scriptures there and read out of Isaiah. And just to better turn there so I get it right. And uh, among the things that he read out of Isaiah, he is sent to preach the gospel to the poor and heal the brokenhearted and preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then it says he closed the book and he gave it back to the minister in the eyes of all them that were fastened on the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say, Jonathan didn't read this far, but he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. In other words, Jesus is saying this day is fulfilled. When you come to the Lord's house, you should expect, you should come believing, you should come expecting Jesus to heal my broken heart. If it doesn't happen in church, where where does it happen? I mean, it can happen other places, and like I said, I know it happens here, but I'd just like to lift that up today. A place where we can be real, where real needs are met. And that may be scary to some of us. I had to think as the morning was going on, and we were looking at scriptures and praying and singing songs that implore God's Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. 
And that's all true. But I also had to think of the scripture that says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Do we have a part in this process? Where you think about? Do we have a part to promote or to make happen God really meeting our needs on a Sunday morning service? What do you think? Real people with real needs getting really honest, really open, in a really real place, a sacred place. I trust it could be a safe place where we care for each other enough that we would, we would be we would feel it's safe to open up. I think we'd see healing. I think we would. Something for you to think about. That's been on my heart. I've been praying that recently. Lord, thank you for all you're doing. I I feel God ministers, you know, through the preaching and the, and his word and his Holy Spirit and through prayer and, Brothers and sisters, that's all great. Is there more? You think about that. Are you finding victory for that hidden need in your life that maybe no one knows about? I mean, you come to church for a year. Are you still struggling with that same need? Are you finding uh, answers for your marriage problems? Struggles with authority, on and on the list could go. Wouldn't the words of Jesus encapsulate all of that? Brokenhearted, deliverance, captive, you know, strongholds in people's lives, recovering of sight, blind, we're blind, we need brothers and sisters, the balance is up. And setting at liberty those that are bruised. And this is the acceptable time. Amen? Amen. What do you think? Just kind of sharing from the depth of my heart. This is not to say that church hasn't been good. I'm just kind of laying it out there. Could it be better? Could it be better? Could we have more? Could Jesus work more miracles? Randall, could Jesus roll stones away from our tombs? Maybe he could. I'm just laying it out. My burden. Church should be, and I know it is, I know it is. I thank God it is more than a museum where we come and view archaic things that, you know, happened in the past, but we meet with a real God who... I believe wants to meet real needs. So that's just kind of a little bit from my heart. I have a two-part message this morning. Two parts. But, and I'm going to go try and go pretty quickly. I'm going to be speaking to the children and to the adults. Before we do that, I'd like for us to pray. 
Father, we thank you this morning for the blessed privilege of coming to the house of the Lord. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And Father, I think with that should be answers to prayer. Seeing the power of God in the midst of your people, of meeting real needs, real struggles, real challenges that we struggle with, Lord. We have needs, and what a better place to come to than to come to church and have those needs met in the body, in and through the body of Christ. Lord, this is my prayer this morning for this body of believers that we could, we could expect more. We could believe God for more. We could get ourselves ready on Sunday morning to come to the Lord's house expecting God would meet my need if I would be willing and believing to open my life up. God, we pray for your blessing on the preaching of this word this morning. Lord, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way this morning. Thank you for the body of Christ. It's the Lord's body, visible body on the earth. And you use our hands and our feet and our, the members of our body to fulfill your will on the earth. And I pray for your power. We ask again for your power, Lord, but I also pray that we would do our part in responding, in giving, in serving, in, in, uh, in uh, responding to the scriptures. Lord, I trust you for these things this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. It's been a very good morning, very good songs, and I'm blessed. <clears throat> I woke up this morning by my alarm, and the first thought I had, what if that were God calling me? Because I have it on my phone. What if that was God calling me? Because I wasn't sure what I'm going to preach yet. It was 5 o'clock. And so I thought, well, I'm going to pretend it is. <laughs> so I had a little conversation with God, and it went like this. God, what do you want me to preach this morning? Now, remember, I'm just waking up, and it takes me a little bit to wake up sometimes. And he said, of course, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard in my mind, preach the word. Okay. I said, okay, I will preach the word. What word? Big word. And the next thought that came to me was, today is the day of salvation. Okay. Yes, God. I will preach. Your word, today is the day of salvation. Fairly short conversation with God, but my mind went on, thinking I'm preaching 
a series of messages on the home. Families for God is kind of the title that I've given the, the series, Families for God. And I thought, well, one important aspect of families for God is the salvation of their children. And I thought, well, why not preach a, salva- a salvation message for our children? Well, first of all, let me back up here. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. After God said, preach that today is the day of salvation, I, of course, the scriptures came to my mind right away. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And that word succored there means to aid or to relieve. This is the day that I have come to to aid you or to relieve you, to save you, is what that word word succored means. Another verse, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, are you listening, children? As the Holy Ghost saith today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. Children, you remember the story of, of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and they saw these great miracles of God like Randall talked to you about this morning. Such like mankind had never seen before those those great and tremendous miracles of their deliverance there in Egypt. And they got into the wilderness And there they started complaining, and God wanted to show himself strong and to save them, but they wouldn't believe him over and over and over again. They provoked God because they wouldn't believe in him. They provoked God. And now the scripture says, now the Bible says, when the Holy Spirit saith today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So my first part is to the children. I decided I will preach a salvation message this morning on a Sunday morning, not on a revival meeting night, but on a Sunday morning, God could save someone here this morning. Wouldn't that be exciting? Amen. That would be exciting. If, if someone would feel touched by the Holy Spirit and give their heart to the Lord on a Sunday morning. That's church to me. Amen? That's church. That's God in our midst, saving our children. And that would be just great if he would do that today. Let me explain a little bit how life goes for children like you growing up in families who are living for God. Children, you are growing up with parents that fear the Lord. You hear your parents pray. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself here. This is how it goes for you, children. Growing up in families that have God-fearing parents. Many, many years ago, before you were born, your mom and your dad 
got married. And they loved the Lord. And they feared God. And they went to church every Sunday. And they prayed. And they prayed for children. And along you come. God gave them a child. And it was you. A little girl. A little boy was born to this Christian couple. They were praying for children. And God gave them a child. God heard their prayers. And he gave them you. This little tiny baby boy or tiny baby girl is born in their home. And the first thing they hear is a, wow. They want to hear that. If babies don't cry when they're born, they get very concerned. They want to hear that, wow. It sounds like a desperate cry. I got to catch my breath (laughs) kind of cry. Wow! Oh, it sounds so nice to mom and dad when they cry that cry. A little later on in the day, wow! It sounds nice again because he's hungry. And so you feed him and then he's happy. A little later, wow! And now he has a mess and he don't feel good. And so you clean him up and he's happy again. That sweet little baby whose wah sounds so nice grows up a little. And after a while, that wah changes. And along with that wah, that sounded so nice and so good when you were first born, comes this twisting and kicking and squirming. And the wah begins to show a little temper. There's a little anger in there. And so mama gets that little baby and she holds him tight. He can't squirm, can't kick, can't throw his hands out. Oh, he gives it all the more. And he just cries and cries and cries. So finally he figures out there's a stronger force than him. And so he just gives up and he goes to sleep. And he feels kind of good. He kind of feels at rest now. He kind of is at peace. He lost the battle. He didn't get his way and it kind of feels good. And mom feels good and dad feels good. Well, that wah gets stronger. And after a while... Mom and dad need to use something like this. Maybe this end, maybe thinner, but just a little bit on that baby. And all of a sudden, he feels pain when he says, wah. But we go from a, the wah seem, seeming so nice to needing to be spanked when we give a wah because it's just getting stronger and stronger. And after a while, it gets so strong that we have to turn the paddle around and use the other end and use more force you know, hard, that it burns. And the children are big, and we take them on our lap. It may be a six-year-old now and or a five-year-old, and we talk to them, and do you know what you did was wrong? You were unkind to your sibling. You, 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 you did something we told you not to do. Do you know? Do you understand? Yeah, I understand. They're crying. You take them on your lap, and you give them a good, sound spanking. Not in anger, but they... 
cry, it hurts. You can't jump off your dad's lap when you're getting a spanking. That, that kind won't, won't do. <laughs> that don't get the job done. Or going circles, you know, all that kind of stuff. We are training you to give up. What does this have to do with salvation anyway? If that five or six-year-old is trained, is, it learns to give up, that same peace comes over him that he got when his mama held him tight. And also, if he took something, if he stole something, if he said a lie, and his guilty conscience bothered him for a week till he finally fessed up or till he finally got caught or till finally dad sat him down and said, what is going on? Well... You know, last week we were in the hardware store and I stuck a pack of gum in my pocket and, and that's been bothering me. And, and so to, to teach them how serious stealing and lying is, they get a spanking, a hard, good, hard spanking. And after the spanking, dad prays with, with, the, with the child and how are you doing? Is everything okay now? Yep, everything's okay now. Conscience is clear. You can go play and you don't you aren't guilty anymore because the spanking took the guilt away. That's how it should work. That's why you get spanked. It's not all for punishing for doing wrong. It's probably more for training you do to do better. And you're clear and you love dad and you love mom and you love your siblings and and, uh, and that's why you're spanked when you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Well, the time comes, though, when the spanking won't do the job anymore. You're older now. Maybe you're 10, 11, 12. I don't know. I don't want to put an age on it necessarily, but you're a little older. And... You're maybe too old to spank, and that's no longer an option. Then what? You feel guilty. You know, or maybe you don't know what's wrong sometimes. You're just miserable. There may come conviction that you don't, that don't go away. You're just afraid. What if God would come tonight? What if Jesus would come back tonight? You're and, and you have fear in your heart, and and uh, maybe you go to to uh, your parents and and uh, and you say, I'm, "I'm I'm feeling bad. I I did something I shouldn't have done," and so they pray with you, and you go to your room, but it doesn't go away. It's just there. You didn't get a spanking. You were just honest. You just went to your parents and you confessed where you were at, and it just doesn't go away. Something is wrong in your heart. Some days you may be moody, miserable. Other days it seems more normal and things are fine. And your, prayer, your parents are praying for you all this time. They're praying that God would speak to you. They're praying for your salvation. They're praying that, that God would show you your own heart, okay? We have tried to teach and to train and all we could do all these years. Now you're getting a little too old. Now we're praying, God, show my, my child 
uh, yourself. Show them their own heart. Show them that they need Jesus and, uh, and how, how they, 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 they look inside to God. You may feel dirty or sinful because of some things you heard or said or were involved in and all these things begin to bother you. And, and but you're afraid or maybe ashamed to go to someone. Sometimes children stay there for weeks and months with that guilt and, and fear and shame just inside. They don't know what to do with it. And that's very sad when that happens. <clears throat> I hope there's no one here like that, but sometimes parents fail to really keep watching and, and, and ask how, how their child is doing. And so they live in that fear and ashamed to go to their parents. Sometimes children in this age bracket are afraid of what, if they give their heart to the Lord, what might God ask them to do? You know, I'm not sure that I want to go to Africa. What if he asked me to go to Africa? Seems to be one of the first things that come up in children's mind that if they give their heart, go to Africa. Well, I was in, I was in Africa and it's not bad, but I know it seems scary to children. When God asks you to do, might ask you to do big things that, that you would be very scared to do. Well, let me explain now what is happening, okay? Are you listening now? God has given you godly parents who have tried to teach and train you what is wrong, what is right, and what is wrong. Don't do that. Don't say a lie. Always say the truth. You, you have been given parents that have taught you that. They have taught you to fear God. I grew up. One thing I remember, my parents telling us, God has an all-seeing eye. He can see right through the darkness like light. Can't hide from God. So your parents have taught you that. They have taught you to obey them. They have taught you to respect them and other old people and be respectful. But one thing that parents cannot do, are you listening? They cannot make you Christian. You have to choose that on your own. Okay? And... Maybe God is calling some of you today. It's no longer your mom or your dad only, but now it's God calling you. He's calling you and he's working things in your life to make you think that this might be God calling me. And you get uneasy and you try to push it away and you don't want to think about it. That is God calling you. And all of a sudden you see, you, you're, you see, you kind of know that there's something wrong inside you. You're bad and you don't want to be bad, but you just are bad anyway. You don't want to be mean and there you were mean again and, and you just can't help it. That is God showing you the condition of your heart. And that's nothing wrong with that. We all were like that. 
he might even be showing you something you don't want to think about, that hidden little sin that no one knows about down in there. You haven't told anybody, but God knows it's there, and that thing keeps coming up. He might be showing you your hidden things that maybe even your best friend don't know anything about. And there you are. What are you going to do? The only thing left to do. The only thing that you can do now that you will get peace and make you feel better on the inside is if you respond in your heart to the Lord's calling. Okay? If you respond to the calling of God on your heart, if you confess your sins and the way you feel on the inside, if you repent from your sins, if you believe and if you receive Jesus into your heart. I'll explain that a little further. There's a question in the Bible and it goes like this. So what must I do to be saved? That we find in the Bible. The Philippian jailer said that. Others said it. I believe it was said at Pentecost when Peter preached. What must we do to be saved? Are you listening? What must I do to be saved? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 in your Bibles. And I'll give you just a few things that you must do in order to be saved. It's not difficult. It won't hurt you. It's not, shouldn't be that scary. But you must be saved. What must I do to be saved? Matthew chapter 3, we'll read verse 1 to 6. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. That's as far as we'll read. Now I'm going to go pretty fast here so I don't bore you or lose you children, but listen to me. Look with me in verse 5. The first thing you must do, and I've already, I've already said it, you must respond. Verse 5, it says, they went out to him. Okay, they went out to John. They, they heard the message and they responded. I want to go and hear what the preacher is saying. They, they responded. Okay, number one, you must respond. Number, number uh, two, you must confess your sins. We see that in verse six. They confessed their sins. If you want victory over your old habits, you have to be honest saying, I have sins down here. I've worked with people already in the counseling room, children, that confessed sins that filled up a whole page, all the bad stuff they were in. And I'm sure you won't have that because you're raised in a Christian home. 
But this man lived a very ungodly life, and we filled up a whole page, maybe both sides, I kind of forget, of sins that he confessed, unbelievable sins. But today he is a victorious Christian. You all know him, Louis Delagrange. It was very important that he confessed his sins. Number three, you must repent. What does that mean? That's a big word. Repent. John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent simply means I'm going this way. I'm doing what I want to do. It's my way. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to say what I want to say. I want to love the things that I want to love. And now Jesus said, says to you, will you come my way? Will you do what I want you to do? And when you repent, you say yes. And you turn around. I want to do what my parents want me to do. I will do what Jesus wants me to do. I will say what Jesus wants me to say. Now you repent it. It simply means to think differently. First of all, you always thought about yourself. Me, myself, and I. But now you start thinking of others, of Jesus, of your little siblings. You think of others. That is what repent means, to start thinking differently. Okay, now turn with me to Romans chapter 10, and we'll be through here very quick. Romans 10, salvation is not complicated at all. So you must respond, you must confess, you must repent. And in Romans 10, verse 9, we have a a little more instructions what you must do to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If thou shalt, everyone say the next word. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man unto righteousness and with the mouth is made unto salvation. Now, this is a little bit different confession than your confession of sin. This confession means you've already confessed your sins, you've already repented of them. Now you're confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saying, Lord, I believe you are the Savior of the world. And I, I, I confess it. I believe it. I, I, uh, I receive you as my Savior. You are confessing the Lord Jesus, and you are believing it in your heart. Okay? You're confessing it with your mouth, and you're believing it in your mind and in your heart, that Jesus is my Savior. And another last thing that you must do to be saved is in Mark chapter 16. You can turn there with me. Okay? Mark 16, verse 15. You must respond. You can't be saved if you just run away from God. If you don't come, no one can force you to be a Christian. You must choose that. You must respond. You must confess. You must repent. 
You must confess Jesus as Savior and believe in your heart. And then in verse uh, 15 of Mark 16, we read, And he said, Go ye to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, we've already talked about that, and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. So then, in the end, after you have responded, after you have confessed your sins, after you have repented, after you have confessed Christ and believed in your heart, then we baptize you. Isn't that beautiful? That can all happen on a Sunday morning like this. It can happen in your parents' bedroom, but I'm going to give you an opportunity here shortly to respond here. I'm going to give you an invitation to go upstairs, and you're welcome to take your parent along, either your mother or your father. And uh, and you can be you can be be born again. You can be saved. You can give your heart to the Lord. On a Sunday morning. It can happen at 10 o'clock at night in your parents' bedroom, but it can also happen here. And maybe it should happen here because you have pushed it off and off and off. And this morning, God said, preach the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Children can die. Things can happen. And so we shouldn't procrastinate. But anyway, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and just let, let you think about that, children. For 10 minutes or so, maybe 15 minutes, I'm going to talk to the adults now. And this part, part two, I call clean, hand, clean hearts and clean homes. Clean hearts and, and homes for the rest of us. First part was to the children, and now it's clean hearts and homes for the rest of us. Adults, we also need salvation daily. We have initial salvation, but I believe it's ongoing. Our salvation needs to be maintained. And we have an enemy. We have a thief. We have a devil. And he trips Christians up. And wouldn't it be nice if someone that has been struggling or hiding sin, I hope it's no one here like that, but if someone could find deliverance this morning and, and, and get, get real with God, where are we at? Clean hearts and homes for the rest of us. I have a story to, to share at this point. I didn't tell my family this, but we had a thief at our place last night. I woke up, 5 o'clock, and I looked out. And I saw him. He was down in the yard. Five o'clock was still dark. And you know that's when. Yep, he was on the roof. He was by the car. He was in the yard. He came quietly. And we have a thief too. 
And he's out for one thing, and that is to, to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. He comes just like Mr. Jack Frost. He'll come very quietly. He may come when we're sleeping. He may be on the roof, at the car, in the yard. But he has got one intent, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus talked about the good men of the house, that if he, if he would have known when the thief would have come, he would have secured his house. The very point of that parable is we, the good men didn't know. Thieves don't usually announce when they come. They come very stealthily. We know his purpose in John 10.10, 10, that, he's coming to, that he, comes to, he came to steal. We know in 2 Corinthians 11.14 that that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, brethren. And what may look so good and right is the devil, can be the devil. We read in 1 Peter 5, 5 that, uh, that he, he is a roaring lion. I think I want you to turn there. 1 Peter 5, 5. This thief, he doesn't care if you're the preacher. He doesn't care if you're the preacher's wife or the preacher's child or if you're a good regular church attender or if you can sing well or you lead songs in church. This thief don't care. He has one thing in mind, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy you as a Christian. He is, he is wicked. He is ruthless. He is set for our destruction as Christians. Peter warns us about that in 1 Peter 5, 5. Well, that's where we'll begin reading. And we see yeah, in verse 8 is where it talks about the devil as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he don't care if, if you have been victorious for, for five years. He may nab you at a weak moment. My challenge to us this morning, are we staying, are we keeping our hearts clean and our homes pure? Fathers and mothers and, and older Christians here, do we have clean hearts? Here are some of the things Peter lists that I think we should consider. Verse 5, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. That word a lot of young people don't like. Do you chafe under your parents' leadership? Rebellion is no little thing. If you are resisting your loving parents that brought you up and trained you and wept over you and cried for you, if you are resisting them, I'm telling you, you are a prime target for Satan. And if you're doing deliberately doing things that they said you should not do, things are not well. 
with your soul. And here, in order to ward off Satan, in order to be safe from him, he says, younger, submit to the elder. And then he kind of steps back and says, all of you be subject one to another. None of us should have this individualistic attitude that we can stand alone. Amen? None of us. Not a one of us says, don't tell me what I should do. Don't tell me where I can go. Don't tell me what I can watch or what I should wear. On and on the list goes. If we have that attitude, brethren, watch out for Jack Frost. All of you be subject one to another and be closed with humility. So point number one, submission. Point number two, humility. Point number three, is, well, let me read on here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Number three was casting your cares. Are you over-worrying? Are you worried about everything to where you are not casting your care? Satan will wear you down and me down if we continue to worry. Number four, listen, listen, be sober. We live in a foolish world. And these phones can, can, can uh, fuel the fire of foolishness. I'm pleading with us. Beware of the foolish things on the phone. Okay? Are you with me? This is a tool. This is a trap. We have many warnings from the scriptures on sobriety. And we get these silly things on the phone and we kick back and we laugh. And I'm saying, I don't like it. I don't feel good about it. I am concerned about it. Passing on these silly things that make other people laugh. When the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. How is it in your heart, brethren and sisters? What do you pass on to tear someone else down? Anyway, you can tell that that comes from deep down I have my problems with foolishness too, believe me. And then we have in verse 9, resist Satan. How's that going? Resisting Satan. No, I won't think these thoughts. I won't go there. Satan, Jesus, come, come to me. You know, that kind of thing. How's it going, brethren, this morning? Time got away from me. I wanted to go to to Revelation yet and just lay these things out. These are real things that Jesus, not long after he, John was still alive, the apostle John. Jesus walked among his churches and he saw Christians that had left their first love. How are we doing, brothers and sisters, in our love for the Lord? Really, ask yourself that question. He saw churches that had the doctrine of Balaam, which I take to be covetousness. Their eyes were on things. 
fulfilling their hearts with things. And Jesus did not take light about that. Make light about that. Another church, he saw the Jezebel spirit among them. And oh, pornography is so prevalent in our day. And I don't know if that's what it means today. But brethren, how are you doing in your private heart? I'm just asking the question. I have no one in mind, I don't think. How are you doing? It is all over the place. Are you victorious? And another church, it said they had a name, but no reality. You say you're Christians, but I forget how it finished it off there. And then the last church was, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity, too, to respond. All of us. I'm going to start. I have a confession to make this morning myself. James says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. And I think that should be happening or could be happening. God wants it to be happening. On a Sunday morning. You know that it's a safe place. That we find healing for our problems. Faults. I'm very ashamed. It's not improper for me to share what I'm going to share. But I am very ashamed. Of this fault in my life. And I wanted to change. I wanted to change. I have seen it. And I have confessed it to the Lord. And here recently it stuck its ugly head up again. And I, I cried out to the Lord right away afterwards. And I don't know why I didn't even share it with my wife or children. But different times this thing kept coming back to me. I'm like, well, why is not gone? And this morning God said, I want you to share this as a confession before the brothers. And that you could pray for me. And, and the church here. <clears throat> About two weeks ago, I was delivering a shed. It was a 12 wide, big wide shed. And so you take most of your, the half of your road up when you're delivering a 12 wide. And I was going through Kelowna. You know, there's two lanes there. And as you get down towards Napa, it gets really tight. There's no no place to go into the shoulder. So usually what I do is I just kind of go out and take both lanes. And I was going the speed limit. So, well, I was about half over the center, the second lane, left lane, going east. Just trucking along, not watching my, my mirror. And all of a sudden, this minivan comes flying around me, blowing its horn all the time. And I'm like, whatever. And I know he had long hair because you were going all over the place in there. And they were like, and his hands were going all over the place. And I'm like, well, whatever. So we're, we're going and we come to the red light and I'm right behind him now. And we're stopping. So I'm like, well, I better lock my door here and make sure it's locked. Because what if he come back and get mad at me? Well, he didn't. But here's where I went wrong. When it was time to go. I decided, well, I'll show him. If he wants to go fast, I can go fast too. And I just, 
he left, and I, right up, you know, not exceedingly tight, but he knew, he knew. It made him very mad. He went one block east. It's just before the uh, historical society. There's a street that goes to the to the right. And before he turned off, so I was coming behind him. Before he turned off, he hit the brakes, and his van was doing this. He was hitting it hard, slowing me down. And, of course, I was back far enough I could stop, but he was very mad. That made him very mad. And I I don't think I was at Farmer's John Deere place by the time my heart was smitten so bad. What her testimony. But I've seen that ugly thing in driving that I don't have a Christ-like spirit when I get challenged on the road. And I don't think it's right. I would like to have it. I would like to have it. I would like for a, a pity to come out of my heart to people that do that to me or a prayer or anything but a challenge. A challenge came out and I know it was so wrong. Well, that is my confession this morning. I don't know if God spoke to you, but brethren, someone a whole lot worse than Jack Frost is after our souls. He won't just, you know, take those little plants. And another thing you know about thieves, when the sun comes up, it goes away. Jack Frost went away. And so they do their damage at secret and unexpected times is when Satan comes and does his damage. Before we sing a song of invitation, I'd like to read the history of the song, Just As I Am. We often sing that in in invitations. Charlotte Elliott wrote that song, Just As I Am. If you want to look at it, you can, but I'm going to give the history. We'll be singing it. But let me read the history of this song. Without question, this hymn has touched more hearts and influenced more people for Christ than any other song ever written. The text was born within the soul of an invalid woman who wrote these words out of intense feelings of uselessness and despair. Charlotte Elliott was born in Clapham, England on March 18, 1789. As a young person, she lived a carefree life, gaining popularity as a portrait artist and writer of humorous verse. By the time she was 30, however, her health began to fail rapidly, and soon she became a bedridden invalid for the remaining years of her life. With her failing health came great feelings of despondency. In 1822, a noted Swiss evangelist, Dr. Caesar Malin, visited the Elliott home in Brighton, England. His visit proved to be the turning point in Charlotte's life. In counseling Miss Elliott about her spiritual and emotional problems, Dr. Malin impressed upon her this truth. Ye must come just as you are. 
a sinner to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Throughout the remainder of her life, Miss Elliot celebrated every year the day on which her Swiss friend had led her to a personal relationship with Christ, for she considered it to be her spiritual birthday. Although she did not write her text for this hymn until 1836, 14 years after her conversion experience, it is apparent that she never forgot the words of her friend, for they form the very essence of this hymn. Though Charlotte Elliott lived to be 82 years of age, she never regained normal health, and she often endured seasons of great physical suffering. Of her own afflictions, she once wrote, He knows, and he alone, what it is, day after day, hour, hour after hour, to fight against bodily feelings of almost overpowering weaknesses, languor, and, and exhaustion, to resolve not to yield to to slothfulness, depression, and instability, such as the body causes me to long to indulge, but to rise every morning determined to take for my motto, if a man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Another time she wrote, God sees, God guides, God guards me. His grace surrounds me, and his voice continually bids me to be happy and holy in his service just where I am. Only eternity will reveal the vast number of individuals whose lives have been dramatically changed through the use of this one hymn from the pen of an invalid woman. It is a hymn that can and should be used more frequently than merely an invitational number at the close of his service. Its message is one that we as believers need to be reminded of frequently, that our eternal standing in peace with God depends solely on, the, on Christ's merits and not on our own. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this normal Sunday morning. It's been a good morning, God. And Lord, I don't know what you will do this morning or have done already. I just commit this message to you, Lord. If there's children here that need to give their heart to the Lord and you have spoken to them, oh God, give them the grace to step forward, go upstairs with their parents, or, and then we'll come and pray with them. Lord, for the rest of us, God, you know where we're at. And I pray, God, if there's a brother or a sister here that needs simply to confess their faults, that they might be healed. Give them the grace to do the same, Lord. Lord, I just commit that to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Why don't we rise to our feet and we'll sing that song. What number is it, Larry? Did you look? 629. 629. Uh, Delwyn, if you would lead that and... Yeah, let's just mind the Lord. God wants to meet our needs, and you come. We come just as we are. Praise the Lord. <clears throat>
So you don't have to come up here. You can go upstairs right away.